Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Good morning. Uh, my name is Ruben uh, Moyana. I'm one of the elders here. As you can tell, I'm not the good-looking uh, bread evangelista. Uh, Pastor Brett is out of town, and um, I'm really uh, thankful to be preaching. You're stuck with a Zimbabwean-born dentist again in the pulpit again today. So let me say that the Bible is the Word of God that has been given to us. Uh, so with humility and with a sense of reverence, I would like to invite you to open your Bibles with me uh, to the book of John, chapter 21. And I think it will be helpful for you to follow along as I preach. John chapter 21, verse 1 says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other disciples of his, other, his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples did ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so were the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for, for this word that you've given us uh, in your providence this morning, God, we, we are so grateful for, for how we have the opportunity to, to hear from you as we look at, at, the, at the Bible this morning. Uh, so, God, I pray that, that 
everything that we do this morning, even now as we look at the word, God, that, that we would uh, just continue to glorify you even as we look at this text. Uh, God, I pray that your uh, Holy Spirit would uh, help us to apply the truth from this passage to our lives and to our hearts. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we have been walking as a church uh, through the book of John. I think uh, we are now coming up to uh, two years. Uh, we started the journey, I think, in January of 2021. Um, and so today we find ourselves in John chapter 21, uh, which is the, uh, the last uh, chapter in this book. Uh, so what's interesting about the text that we just looked at uh, is that really if you think about the message from last Sunday, it almost seems as if we should have expected really the book of John uh, to finish up. Uh, we saw the purpose statement of the book of John. Uh, this is how the book uh, says in John chapter 20, this is what we finished up with last week. It said in John 20 verse 30, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So that was the, the purpose statement. And it almost seems like things should, should be wrapped up then, but it does not. Uh, we saw last time the resurrection uh, of Christ in chapter 20. Uh, and then we saw uh, Jesus appearing to Mary and he appeared to his disciples. And then we get to that purpose statement again, uh, which was written that ultimately, as we study the Bible, as we study this book of John, the goal is for us to ultimately believe in Jesus and have eternal life. So John has an evangelistic purpose in this book. And also, he wants to encourage us as we look at this text. So if we believe the gospel message that John presents in this book here, we ultimately become followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, we ultimately become believers. In other words, we can say we also uh, become disciples as well. And being a disciple has ramifications. You know, being a disciple has consequences. We can say that God really expects us, He has got expectations for us. Uh, if we call ourselves disciples, our lives must look different. So, so which leads us then to ask the question, what, what's a disciple? What's a disciple? So the word disciple or disciples uh, appears 269 times uh, in the New Testament. And uh, in this particular account, if you were to count how many times uh, the word disciple or disciples appears, it actually appears seven times. Uh, it comes from the Greek word uh, looked up in my logos, Bible software, and uh, the word was mathetes, which means uh, to learn, uh, to understand, uh, to be a learner, a pupil. A pupil. Uh, but it, it actually means much more than just learning. Uh, it means that a, a disciple is somebody who, who really sticks to and adheres to the instruction that has been given to them. And ultimately, their, their conduct is going to be uh, different than, than everybody else in the world. So, so Jesus had the disciples in the sense that they believed in his teaching. And this teaching was the basis of how they were to conduct themselves. You know, they were supposed to follow Jesus 
And they were supposed to, to also, not just follow Jesus, but they were supposed to, to serve Jesus as well. And let me say that the, the same is true for us in here as well. You know, if, if we are trusting in Christ, it means that we believe in Him, yes. But we also follow and serve Him as well. So I, I hope you realize this morning that being a disciple and being a Christian, you know, while it is a privilege, yes, it is a privilege, it also comes with some expectations uh, from, from God. And by the way, when, when we become a disciple, uh, the Bible makes it clear that we are actually called to become a disciple. In other words, we can say that the, the initiative for us to become a disciple really, really lays with Jesus Christ alone. And apart from Jesus Christ calling us, you know, really there's no recognizable motive uh, for, for one to become a disciple and for one to follow uh, Jesus Christ. So the Gospel of Mark uh, gives us really a short account of how Jesus actually called uh, the first disciples. So I want us to think about this as we look in, in John today. Uh, let's have this text in the back of our minds, okay? So I'm going to read here from Mark chapter 1 so we can kind of get an idea of how these disciples came to be. So Mark chapter 1 verse 14 says this. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. So then Galilee, Galilee is the same place that John chapter 21 happens, uh, proclaiming the gospel and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And this is what Jesus was saying. He was saying repent and believe in the gospel. That was his message. And then verse 16, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, now listen to this, he said, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Verse 18, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them. See, see, see the language there. He called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. So, so this is how disciples were called. And they, they had left everything. They had left their jobs. They had left their family ultimately to follow Jesus and to become his disciples and again, notice, notice this, this all happens again. It says alongside the Sea of Galilee, which is exactly where, where they are in this account. So I'm sure that the disciples, you know, they had this historical event. They were thinking about this, this time as they're interacting with Jesus in John uh, chapter 21, especially when he said, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. So, so they were supposed to be fishers of men. You know, that's what they were supposed to be about. That was, you could say, that was God's agenda. God's agenda for them was for them to be fishers of men. So, so this is really crucial in helping the disciples, you know, to process what Jesus is teaching them. And I think it is also crucial for us to remember that uh, as we look at this text uh, this morning. Uh, th th these disciples, they, they were not supposed to be mere disciples, but they were supposed to be disciple makers they were supposed to lead other people 
to become Christians, to become Christ followers as well. So, so, so there's no doubt, you know, when we read the other accounts. So, you know, th- this chapter, like I say, this is the last chapter in the book of John. So what I want us to do pretty quickly, I want us to look at uh, how the other gospel accounts end. Uh, so we can kind of compare what that looks like. So the book of Matthew uh, is, is a, a gospel account, pretty much another perspective that tells us about the life of Jesus Christ. And most of us know the Great Commission. Uh, the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28 says this. Now, I'm beginning in verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the ages." So, 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 so notice the disciples, again, they are in Galilee. They're in Galilee. And they're, 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 they're not in Galilee by accident, but, but Jesus Christ had directed them. He had, he had directed them to, to, to go there. Uh, and it was in Galilee that he commissioned them to go and make disciples. So, in other words, he was reminding them in another way that they were to become fishers of men. So, so let's look again. So that's how the book of Matthew ends. So now let's look and see how the book of Mark ends. That's another gospel account. Uh, Mark chapter 16, uh, verse 14, uh, says this. Afterwards he, you know, meaning Jesus, appeared to the eleven themselves. So this is the twelve disciples minus Judas Iscariot. As they were reclining at the table, and he rebuked them. For their unbelief and the hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into the world and proclaim, listen to this, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. And whoever does not believe will be condemned. So that's how that account ends. And then another perspective, if you can humor me. Uh, Luke chapter 24, let's look there again. It says uh, in Luke chapter 24, and he said to them, so Jesus, Jesus said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to, in his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses, you are witnesses of these things. So, so what is common, what is pretty common in all these gospel accounts when you look at them is that Jesus Christ is making it really clear that his disciples, again, they are not supposed to just live selfishly for themselves, but they're supposed to live for their lives for him. They're supposed to continue to be fishers of men. They're supposed to make disciples. They're supposed to proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. They're supposed to Proclaim the message of repentance the, for the forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus to all the nations. So this is what the disciples were supposed to be about. 
So now let's go back to the book of John chapter 21 and let's see how the gospel account in the book of John ends. And uh, as we look at the, the gospel account in the book of John, I want us really to see uh, some life lessons for disciples and for disciple making. So that's the title of my sermon this morning is Life Lessons for Disciples and Disciple Making. So Jesus, you know, we know that he had spent really part of his life and ministry, the, the, the last part of his life really, and the last part of his ministry investing in this man. Uh, he had taught them these crucial lessons really. Uh, he was teaching them about his character, about who he was. Uh, he was teaching them about his nature, and uh, he had taught them what he expected of them as, as uh, the Lord. And so in this account in John 21, now we see that Jesus is really, he's taking this opportunity to continue uh, teaching them, and he's really reinforcing some of the life lessons uh, that he, he taught them. And so as we look at this, I pray that we also uh, will learn some of these uh, life lessons alongside these disciples. Now, we could spend the entire day uh, talking about some of the life lessons uh, that we can learn about discipleship from this passage of Scripture. But what I want to just do today, I just want us to look at two uh, lessons from this passage about discipleship. And let me go first and give them uh, the points to you, and then we're going to break them uh, one by one. So the first one is this. Uh, disciples of Christ uh, must come to terms with their human inability. Uh, that's one, one, one of the things that he's teaching them here. That disciples of Christ must come to terms with their human inability. And then secondly, uh, we want, I, want you, I want you to see with me that the, the disciples of Christ must trust, see, and obey divine sovereign wisdom. Uh, disciples of Christ must trust, see, and obey divine sovereign wisdom. So let's start with the first one. Uh, disciples of Christ must come to terms with their human inability. So if you are a follower of Jesus Christ here, you know, the lesson for you as well is that you also must come to terms with your human inability. Uh, John 21 verse 1, After this Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. So the first important point that I want to highlight really is again the total inability of these disciples and how much that inability really ultimately it highlights their desperate need for their Savior, uh, Jesus. So it says after this, after what? Uh, this was after Jesus had rose from the grave. Uh, this was after Jesus had appeared to Mary uh, Magdalene. Uh, this was after Jesus, as we saw last week, um, had uh, appeared to Thomas, uh, this, the doubter Thomas, who in John chapter 20, verse 25, he had said that unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my finger into the marks of the nails and place my hand into his side, he said, I'll never believe. That's what Thomas had said, and, and Pastor Brad did such a great job just to encourage us in uh, as far as how God is uh, an encouragement to our doubters and that he made the connection of how these disciples are really us, if we think about it, out at the end of the day. 
So in his grace and mercy, uh, Jesus Christ had shown himself and revealed himself to Thomas. And in this account we see now, now Thomas is with the, with the six other disciples in this account. Uh, there are seven of them total. And we are told that Jesus Christ revealed himself again to the disciples. So also note just uh, in, in verse 14. So it starts off by saying that Jesus revealed himself. And then it ends in verse 14. Look in verse 14 there. It said, now this was the third time that Jesus revealed, was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. If you've got a different translation, for example, like if you've got like the, the New American Standard Bible in verse 1, it says, it says, after this Jesus was manifested. That's like the language they say. He was manifested. He manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. So we see this emphasis of the fact that Jesus revealed himself. He manifested himself. And uh, again, I'm not a Greek scholar, and uh, the, the word for, for Greek in the, in the original language was phaneru, which means that manifest, uh, visible, conspicuous, uh, to make yourself apparent. So it's almost like you can't see something, and then all of a sudden you're like, wow, I, I can see that. So that's exactly what, what Jesus did. Uh, they could not see him, and then all of a sudden he revealed uh, himself uh, to them. And this is exactly what Jesus does uh, for, for the disciples you know, by themselves, by themselves, these disciples are completely unable to see Jesus. You know, Jesus Christ has to reveal himself to them. You know, there, there, there is a lesson to be learned in that. So, my dear friends, uh, do you realize that apart from God revealing himself to us, that you and I, you and I would still be in complete darkness? In fact, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says that for by grace you have been saved through faith. And then it says that, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. So if you're a Christian, and if you are here this morning, I hope you celebrate the reality, celebrate the reality that, that God has revealed himself to you through the gospel uh, of his son, Jesus Christ. So you see, the, the, the Word of God, like every time when we gather on Sundays or when we gather for Bible studies, what God is doing, He uses His Word and He uses His Holy Spirit ultimately to reveal Himself to us. You know, Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. Even though He had created the, the world, even though He had lived in eternal glory, Jesus Christ humbled Himself and he put on human flesh. Like Philippians chapter 2 tells us, it says, Who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So, so this Jesus has revealed himself to us. And he revealed himself to the disciples. He was God revealed in human flesh. And the reality of the matter is that we cannot have salvation 
And we cannot have sanctification. And we cannot, ultimately, we cannot serve God if He does not first reveal Himself to us. So my prayer this morning is that if you do not know Jesus Christ this morning, I pray that God would, would reveal Himself to you. That He would use a poor, poor preacher like I am to reveal Himself to you through His Word here. And that you would repent of your sin. That, that, that you would trust in Him. That, that you would trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. May He reveal Himself to us. So, so, so going back to the text, it says again, Jesus revealed Himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And He revealed Himself in this way. So, so in their humanity, think about it. In their humanity, the disciples were totally unable to see Jesus rightly. You see, it is very possible. It is possible for our eyes to actually be open and for us to look at something and not really be able to truly see. Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 21. The prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament says this. He says, hear this, O foolish and senseless people who have eyes but see not, who have ears but hear not. So, so it's possible. It's possible to have eyes and not be able to see. And it's possible to have ears and not to be able to hear. So may God help us. May God help us to actually see. And may God help us to actually hear. So it says the disciples were at the Sea of Tiberias. So so the Sea of Tiberias, by the way, uh, is the same as the Sea of Galilee. Uh, that's another, another name for, for it. So this was really like a deja vu moment if you think about it. Because these, these disciples, they were very familiar with the Sea of Galilee. And so let's see who was, who was there. There were seven of them. Verse 2. So we have Simon Peter. Uh, Simon Peter is mentioned first uh, because he was the leader. Uh, Simon Peter had a reputation. Uh, he was very impetuous. Uh, he was impulsive. You know, Simon was very passionate. Uh, he's the one who had denied Jesus Christ. Uh, but, but, but by the grace of God, he was restored to the ministry later on. And, and then, so we've got Simon Peter, and then we've got Thomas, uh, who we, we talked about last week. So Thomas had the reputation of being known as the doubting Thomas. Uh, he was very cautious and he was very doubtful. And so, and then we've got Nathaniel. So Nathaniel uh, is first introduced to us in chapter 1. Uh, and then, and then he's, he's mentioned here after that. And then we've got the sons of Zebedee. Uh, the sons of Zebedee, this is John, uh, the author who's writing this book. And also James, his brother. And they were, they were sometimes known as the sons of thunder. Uh, because they were so fiery. And then we've got two other disciples who are unnamed. Uh, maybe it was Andrew, maybe it was uh, Philip, we're not really quite sure. But what's interesting for me when I read this passage of Scripture is that, you know, these men were men of different backgrounds. You know, they, they were men of different characters. Uh, they were men of different temperaments. You know, some of them were fishermen. Uh, some of them were tax collectors. Uh, and the Bible says that, 
uh, says that in the book of Acts that they were common, uh, they were un uneducated common men. But God used them mightily, we know that, to turn the world upside down, uh, as we see in the book of Acts. As, as, they, as, as they start their ministry in the book of Acts, we see how they turn the world upside down. But, you know, when you talk about these disciples, though, most of the time, it's easy for us to look at them and not identify with them. But the reality of the matter, again, is that they represent us. You know, the church is made up of, of doubters. You know, the church is made up of deniers. You know, the church is made up of sinners, of many flavors, you know, who have been, who have been brought to faith, you know, by Christ and who have been forgiven uh, of their sins. So let's continue looking. Uh, verse 3, uh, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said, we will go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. So again, then Galilee, you know, a familiar place for them, like I've said. And fishing was what was familiar for them. The night was also the, the best time for them to be fishing. Uh, because usually the fish, you know, would come up to the surface and the fish caught the, uh, during the, the evening could also be sold the next morning because they did not have any fridges like we do. So this was like the perfect time and the perfect place for them to be doing this. And yet we are surprised. <laughs> we are surprised and we're perplexed to hear that they caught nothing. It's interesting. You know, as far as we know, Jesus had told them to go to Galilee, like we saw in Matthew chapter 28. You know, they were to go to Galilee and they were to wait for him. You know, he, he did not specifically instruct them to go fishing. But we can't, you know, we can't be too quick, though, to, to blame them for fishing, though, right? I mean, they were probably hungry. Maybe they just do not know what to do next. You know, it's hard for us to wait. You know, if I tell you to go somewhere and wait for me, it's hard. It's hard to just wait. So we can't blame them for going fishing. So, so it was likely natural for these fishermen to, to go to their old occupation of fishing. So remember Simon and Andrew and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, you know, they were fishermen before, like we, we saw when Jesus called them. So now the impetuous, the impulsive, impatient, Jesus denying Simon Peter, you know, he decides that he's going to take matters into his own hands. We know that Simon Peter is uh, very influential. Uh, he's influential, and, and, and he takes the other disciples with him. He says, I'm going fishing. And they say, well, we'll go with you. Quick lesson, you know, how we really need to be careful. We need to be so careful who we follow. We need to be careful who we allow to influence us. You see, it is so easy to follow other people who have got their own agenda and not God's agenda. For example, there, there, there are many people on the internet who are leaders and who are influential, influential and they are so convincing 
They're so convincing of what they're doing, but the problem is that they're pursuing their own agenda instead of God's agenda. They are leading many people away from God's agenda. So my dear friends, we should allow ourselves to be influenced by people who are always leading us towards the ways of God. The best type of influence, the best type of influence that we need, ladies and gentlemen, is influence that brings us towards the ways of God. You see, there was really nothing wrong with fishing. There's really nothing wrong with fishing. But, but, but these disciples were supposed to be fishers of men. Again, when, when he calls them, he makes it clear that he wants them to be, profession, to, to be fishers of men, not, not professional fishermen anymore. So now, they are not on God's agenda. So this was really unusual. Again, it was extraordinary for these for these experienced professional fishermen under what was supposed to be optimal conditions for them to catch nothing. They knew the Sea of Galilee like the back of their hand. They had fished here many, many, many times, and yet they caught nothing. You see, the, the real reason, the real reason that they did not catch anything was because the God of the universe, the sovereign God of heaven and earth, the God who gives us breath, the God who's making your heart beat right this moment, that God, the God who controls the entire universe, also on that evening, he was controlling all the fish in the Sea of Galilee so that not even a single fish was allowed to enter the net of the disciples. So don't miss it. God was teaching the disciples then, and God is teaching us even now that in our, in our own self-sufficiency, in our own power, when we are trusting in our own ability, in our own wisdom, we cannot accomplish anything for the glory of God. Remember Jesus' teaching in John chapter 15. He says this. He says, abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The disciples caught nothing. Oh, we are reminded that disciples of Christ must come to terms with their human inability. The disciples here have indeed come to terms with their human inability. They have been fishing all night in vain. And they are likely tired. They are likely cold. They are likely exhausted, deflated. And they are likely hungry. But then everything changes. Everything changes when, when Jesus enters the picture. Verse 4 to verse 8. Just as Jesus was breaking, I'm sorry, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. 
He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Verse 8, verse 7. That disciple whom Jesus loved. This is, this is John, by the way, if you're, not, if you're not sure who that is. That's John who's writing this, this book. The, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciple, uh, disciples came into the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred years off. So it strikes me that Jesus refers to, to the disciples as children. You know, he does not say gentlemen. You know, he does not say man. He does not say apostles. He does not say spiritual leaders. He does not call them elders. But he calls them children. Why? Why, why does he do that? Well, I think he refers to them as children to remind them ultimately who really is in charge. Children don't have any authority. You know, Jesus, the disciples certainly don't have any authority apart from the authority that is given to them by Jesus Christ. He calls them children, again, to highlight their human inability. You see, children are unable to do for themselves in so many different ways. They were unable to do for themselves in this situation. And oh, how we are reminded that moment by moment, just like a child, just like a child who can't even wipe their own snotty nose without their parents helping them, we must depend, the di disciples must depend on their Heavenly Father. And children, we know that children are supposed to obey. The disciples are expected to obey, and they're expected to have humility, and they're expected to trust. So we see that disciples of Christ, just like children, must come to terms with their human inability. Which leads us to our next major point, which is this, that disciples of Christ must trust, see, and obey divine sovereign wisdom. When Jesus Christ gives his disciples a command, they are expected to follow it. The disciples can't help but to respond to the obvious authority in the voice of Christ. You see, when Jesus speaks, he speaks with such an unmistakable authority. There is this obvious divine wisdom, this obvious authority, and they must trust this voice. They must obey this voice. So let me ask you here this morning, do you realize the authority of Jesus Christ in your life? Are you obeying Jesus Christ in your life? Jesus Christ has the divine sovereign wisdom. And in his sovereignty, he knew, he knew exactly where the fish were. The fish were not on the left side. The fish were not behind the boat. The fish were not in front of the boat. But they were on the right side of the boat because he caused them to be right there. So I don't know what's going on with you today, this morning. But know this, that Jesus Christ has revealed himself to us 
Again, like I said, he has given us his holy word, and we are to obey him. Other people may disobey him. Other people may decide to cast the net on the left side. Other people may cast the net in front of the net. Others may cast behind. But we are to cast the net on the right side. So are we following God's way of doing things? You know, most times we, we like to complain when things are not going well. But the question is, are we following God's way? Are we following His divine sovereign, sovereign wisdom in our work? Are we following His divine sovereign wisdom in our, in our marriages? Are we following His divine sovereign wisdom in our relationships? Or are we allowing ourselves to be led by our fleshly human reasoning? Oh, how we must obey. We must obey the voice of God. It is an unmistakable voice. So the disciples obeyed, and they ended up with a net full of fish. You know, we are told specifically that there were 153 large fish. The sovereign Lord of the earth caused 153 large fish now to swim directly into the net of the disciples. Again, remember the object lesson. The disciples, they were supposed to be what? to be fishers of men. They were supposed to be disciple makers. So God was teaching them on that. If they preached the gospel, if they were faithful to do what he, he told them to do, if they cast the net, then God himself was going to cause people to come into the net. And once the people got into the net, they could not escape it. In other words, we see the doctrine here of the perseverance of the saints that says that once a man is caught in the net, they can't escape it. Once saved into the kingdom, we are always saved. Verse 9 to 11, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in, in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring me some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, listen to this, the net was not torn. So just as an example, you know, when I was in, in college, uh, not college, actually in high school, not college, uh, I took metal work and I hated it. I, I, I just did not enjoy it. But I remember specifically uh, there was an equipment called a vice. I'm sure most of you know what a, some of you know what a vice is. And this vice, you know, it would grip the piece of metal so tightly that you could do anything to that piece of metal and it would not go anywhere. You could hammer that piece of metal. You could drill on that piece of metal. And you could do whatever you wanted to do to it. And it was not going, going anywhere. So, so the same is true for our salvation. You know, once we are gripped and once we are held in the vice of God's gospel, in the vice of God's grace, in the vice of God's salvation, we don't go anywhere. It does not matter what happens in the world. It does not matter what the world and the flesh and the devil may do to you. It may try to beat you down. It may try to discourage you. But thank God that we remain in the net. The net is not torn. John chapter 10, 
I think we read this last week as a benediction, if I'm not mistaken. Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one, no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So, so Jesus is ultimately teaching his disciples that when they are fishers of men, when they preach the gospel, God will bring people into the net and the net will never tear. No one is able to snatch them out of his hand. So if you are struggling this morning with an assurance of salvation, let me remind you that there is nothing, there is nothing that you can do to escape the net of God's salvation. John emphasized that the net was full of large fish, large fish. And although there were so many, the net did not tear. So don't let the devil and the flesh and the world convince you otherwise. Now, as I get ready to close, now let me say to you that from this text we see that even though Jesus, even though Jesus is sovereign, and even though Jesus is authority, and even though Jesus is divine wisdom, he also is a personal, relational Savior who cares for the affairs of mankind. We see here how he cares and how he provides and how he comforts his disciples. Even though, really, think about it, not too long ago, not too long ago, they had denied him. Not too long ago, they had abandoned him. They had betrayed him. And yet, Jesus is so tender. He's so tender. He's so compassionate. And he's so loving. Verse 12 to 14, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples did ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So, so we see here now this invitation from Jesus to the disciples. You know, they've been vainly fishing all night long. And like I said before, they are likely tired, they are likely cold, they are likely hungry, they are probably very discouraged from catching nothing, and yet Jesus appears and invites them to come and have breakfast. He does not scold them. He is not harsh with them. But notice how, how Jesus, again, he provides, he provides a fire to warm them the bread and the fish to fill their bellies. And if you notice the text here, he does not even use the 153 fish that was just caught. Don't miss it. And then notice the greatest gift of Jesus here is not the fire and the food, but the greatest gift of Jesus here is his presence. He is right there with them. You see, it was, a, it was a privilege. It was a privilege for them to be right there with Jesus. 
I wonder if you caught those four words that John said earlier. It's in verse 7, it says that the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Those are four pregnant words. It is the Lord. Oh, what a privilege it was to have the Lord there with them. He is the Lord. This was Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the God-man, co-equal, co-eternal with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. It is the Lord, the one who came from heaven for the redemption of the world, the one who was fully God and fully man, the one who had died a sufficient atoning death for human redemption, the one who had been raised from the grave, the one who would be ascended to be with the Father, the one who even right now is, is interceding on behalf of the saints. That Jesus, he was inviting the disciples to come to them, to come to him. So my dear friends, I don't know what's going on with you this morning, but the same Jesus who invited the disciples to come to him and have breakfast, the same Jesus is inviting you to come to him as well. So the question is, will you come? Will you come? Are you spiritually tired? Are you spiritually cold? Are you spiritually hungry? Are you spiritually discouraged? Are you weary? Are you heavy laden? Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. He says, come to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That sounds like a promise. You will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Oh, come to him now. Come to him and find your rest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Uh, Father, we thank you for, for your word. Uh, Father, we thank you for this precious word that you have given us. Let your Holy Spirit now, God, let your Holy Spirit apply the biblical truth that we just looked at. Apply it to our minds and apply it to our hearts. Enable us, oh God, enable us to see you. Enable us, oh God, please enable us to trust you, to obey you always by your grace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we now have the privilege uh, of taking the Lord's Supper as a, fa as a church family. Uh, I was thinking about this, uh, that Jesus, you know, he gave them bread. And uh, Jesus also gives us bread uh, for us to, to remember who he is. And uh, if, you are, if you are trusting in Jesus Christ this morning, uh, we invite you to partake the Lord's uh, Supper uh, with us as we remember our Savior. Uh, if you're not a Christian, uh, we would uh, encourage you to just use this time to reflect uh, on the message that you just uh, heard. And uh, let me say that when the band starts to play, uh, feel free to get up and get the elements. And Pastor Springer is going to come up and uh, lead us in that. Amen.